Dennis, today, or not today, I mean, yes, we are talking about today, but over the last couple of weeks we've been talking about leg and feet problems and we've also looked at the immune system and Mm. supporting that and that, of course, is particularly important these days. Mm. But today you want to look at... Legs and feet more uh, intensely. We, we, We tried to take up legs and feet, if we want to use that language, for a couple of times, and we got a little way along the track, but always uh, the board dominated and questions were raised about other topics, which is great. And so we didn't really have much of a chance to exhaust that topic, and I'd like to take it up a little bit more today, Jane. Legs and feet, they're uh, incredibly important. Look, they are very important, Jane, and uh, I was uh, reminded of that uh, this week talking to my daughter, Rachel, who was telling me about uh, an incident of a, a patient, client, friend, I'm not sure, who was telling her about uh, an elderly lady friend of, of hers that was in hospital uh, with a very, very um, compromised leg in as much as the leg was very significantly um, ulcerated. She had what was called a varicose ulcer. Uh, and this is a very nasty condition and not always very easy to treat as many of our good doctors would tell us. And this particular case had reached the point where it was really looking down the barrel at some very serious medical intervention. And uh, from what I understand, my daughter and this other lady discussed, um, has consideration been given uh, to trying honey because everything else was not working. And um, so it was suggested, this is a true story, it was suggested that uh, the issue be raised with her medical managers, those that were looking after her in a care situation, and it was. But what was disappointing, Jane, was that um, initially there was considerable disinterest in in utilising something that I would have thought by now would have been fairly well acknowledged, even in the medical profession, as being potentially useful for addressing something like a slow healing or a stubborn varicose ulcer. But eventually, um, so the story goes, um, the patient or client insisted that consideration be given to dressing the wound um, with, with a honey preparation, some honey ointment, uh, honey, straight honey itself will do the job. And the medical managers exceeded to her request, apparently a little bit reluctantly, uh, but were overwhelmed by the improvement in the ulcer, which had uh, rejected, if you like, all other approaches, and the simple application of a honey-based topical application uh, turned the whole direction of that ulcer around. And I was uh, stimulated in talking to my uh, daughter Rachel to, to raise the issue and point out to listeners that in many situations, we should not overlook, we should not overlook that there are options available in what might be called complementary medicine, and I, I like that term. We do not see what we do as being prime therapy, it is complementary medicine. Um, but here is an opportunity for listeners, uh, medicos, pharmacists, or whatever, to again be reminded that one of the most common applications. Um, for a complementary medicine topical applications are leg conditions. Leg conditions, and I've had one uh, incident in my career where actually the, the ball of the foot was implicated, 
with a, with a massive ulcer. Here is an indication where legs and feet do count and where something as serious as an ulcer in an elderly person, slow healing and not responding too well to the mainstream, responded brilliantly to complementary medicine functioning at its best. And I was I was interested also, Jane, listeners will be fascinated in this, I was interested in reinforcing my uh, contention that something like uh, a honey ointment should be taken more seriously when in preparing for one of my forthcoming uh, graduate seminars, I was reading a book by a British doctor, Dr John McKenna. And uh, years ago he wrote a book entitled Natural Alternatives to Antibiotics. And in this book, the good doctor who had practised in Africa uh, and was practising in, in England as well as Ireland, wrote very favourably about the use of honey and justified it from a medical point of view as to how it worked. And he pointed out in this book, which I have in front of me, and I intend to quote this section to some, to some of my students in a couple of weeks' time, he points out that there is a basis as to how something like uh, honey would work on, say, a leg ulcer, and that is because a topical application of honey preparations tends to dehydrate uh, the wound, uh, to be crude, it sucks out, if you like, a lot of the infected material, and at the same time stimulates granulation of tissue or promotes healing. So there's a, a fairly well-defined and well-understood way as to how honey preparations can work in dire medical situations and medical practitioners themselves, some of them in, in a widely experienced, particularly in tropical parts of the world, have demonstrated the, the way in which even in wounds and lesions on the legs and feet particularly, slow healing wounds, I've seen them particularly in patients presenting that are diabetic uh, patients um, with these lesions that are very defiant, I've seen how these common lesions these medical conditions that should be primarily medically treated, and that's what I'd like to emphasise, anything like this needs to be primarily assessed medically because these things can be very, very nasty. It should, however, be always factored into the equation that where the medical approach is not doing as well as it should be, there should be no disregard for something as simple as a natural product incorporating the sanitising and healing potential of honey in, say, a varicose ulcer condition, a condition of the leg, and similarly ulcerated conditions of the feet. Legs and feet are very important. We need to look after them and keep in mind, listeners, the benefits of a natural substance like a honey ointment where everything else is failing. And uh, we're looking at the health of legs and feet, along with your questions. Very welcome. Uh, but we've just been talking about varicose, varicose ulcers. Varicose eczema is mm, something mm. else that is all part of this whole sure. thing, Dennis. The, the eczema, most listeners have heard me speak about eczema on this program over the years. And I believe the complementary medicine has a lot to offer in this condition. Eczema, dermatitis, uh, similar terms, and what we're looking at uh, is a condition that can affect any part of the body um, and can uh, young people, children can, can get eczema. I've experienced eczema. That really is what got me into complementary medicine many, many, many years ago. But um, eczema and dermatitis is characterised frequently by inflammation. Well, it is inflammation, itch, 
uh, can even be discharge, redness, can be a very, very challenging and irritating condition, and it can occur on the legs, hence the term varicose eczema. Uh, it is associated, I would contend, with, with circulatory problems uh, where the skin can frequently become dry, uh, characterised then by itch, um, redness, heat, and where, unfortunately, it can lead to insatiable itching and uh, any form of eczema, in my experience anyway, is uh, characterised by itch, sometimes um, incredibly distressing. And there are so many preparations in the marketplace that are useful to address that aspect of it. But varicose eczema needs to be uh, certainly medically assessed uh, because sometimes people will scratch uh, the skin, uh, the eczema, the dermatitis on, on the leg, and it can become infected. Uh, and that can be quite sad, and that obviously requires the monitoring of our good GPs, but also uh, it can become infected and arguably lead to an ulcer. So uh, normally what, what we do in my practice, when people present with a long history of, say, eczema on the legs or a threatening varicose eczema or threatening varicose ulcer, I have an approach that has helped quite a few people. Uh, and it's, uh, the approach is quite simple. Uh, and most pharmacists and doctors would relate uh, to my contention that one of the first things that needs to be done is to try to uh, manage the condition, in my opinion anyway, without uh, immediately going to use steroid topical applications. They are sometimes useful. I mean, cortisone preparations, lay people would know them by that term. They're very effective, but the problem with uh, cortisone preparations carried out over a long period of time, they can in fact weaken the skin and lessen its healing capacity. So in something like a stubborn uh, varicose dermatitis or varicose eczema, my approach has always been to seek to address initially the itch by using things that are topically safe and readily available. And pharmacists would relate to this particularly when I say topical applications incorporating pine tar and particularly menthol. In a lotion preparation, that can give remarkable relief from the itch. And I'll say that again because listeners, many listeners will relate to this condition. A pharmacy would stock or could compound a lotion preparation that incorporates a therapeutic levels of pine tar and therapeutic levels of menthol. Now, menthol has a remarkable effect in managing some of the heat associated with dermatitis and eczema. Uh, and unfortunately, it's not appreciated as much as what it should be, in my opinion, even within the mainstream. I said last week, Jade, and I was thinking about this today, um, there is a lot of information latent in some of the older medical and pharmaceutical literature. And a lot of that would have formulations incorporating pine tar, juniper tar, both the same, and also menthol. So there's no mystery about them. Uh, I worry that they're not used as much, perhaps. So my approach has always been to encourage uh, patients or clients to look for a lotion to get the pharmacist, uh, the doctor, to prescribe a preparation based on menthol and pine tar, which usually brings about pretty promptly some significant relief from the heat and the itch 
associated with that condition. I remember as a very, very young man. Oh. No, that goes back too far. I remember as a younger man um, <laughs> helping a dear friend who lived um, down the street from me in Brisbane Water Road. And she was living at Swansea at the time and rang me up when I was practising in Church Street just after I came back from Sydney and said, look, Dennis, I've got this terrible eczema on my leg. Uh, it's been treated with steroids or cortisone, as she called it, she said, but it keeps coming back and it's driving me mad. She said, the main problem is, she said, I scratch it all the time, it becomes infected. She said, what do you reckon? I said, well, look, go to your pharmacy. And I said, he will know the preparation I'm talking about. Ask for a lotion that incorporates pine tar, throw it into a bucket, put some water in it, and bathe your leg in that. She became a friend for life. <laughs> it, it was a remarkable proof of what I'm saying. So in managing these conditions, I say to, to my GP friends and pharmacists, don't overlook starting with a simple level, a preparation to soothe and cool. Pine tar, menthol in, in, a, in, a, in a liquid base. But then, then what I have found most effective, once you've reached that stage where it's comfortable, I have found, and I had a lot to do in bringing this substance into uh, complementary medicine, in fact, even back into medicine, preparations based on what's called glycotidic acid. Uh, they are remarkable, remarkable in managing uh, the uh, subacute or chronic conditions of, say, varicose eczema or dermatitis, and they're known as GA preparations. They're called up in Martindale, some of the older pharmacopoeias, and my practice has depended on them for probably 30 years to bring about uh, an, uh, an ongoing uh, relief from the dermatitis or the eczema and see the actual skin uh, repair itself, improve itself, and the eczema dissipate. And that is without using any oral medication. So uh, topical applications of glycotinic acid say GA creams, there are a couple of forms of them, and topical management of the uh, itchy condition with menthol and pine tar preparations. If you've got something like that, listener, run it past your GP, talk to your pharmacist, get working on that. I'd be surprised if you didn't get relief from a leg condition, varicose eczema, which is a nasty condition. And uh, Shirley has rung in from Nelson Bay. Shirley, your husband has a problem with, uh, with nausea. That's correct. Hello, Shirley. Hello. Now, tell, um, me, tell me about your husband. What, what's causing the nausea? Well, he was diagnosed with a um, pylori infection in the okay. stomach yeah. and has been on very heavy uh, antibiotics yes. now. For two weeks, okay. but the nausea hasn't decreased okay. at all. He's still sick. He's lost yeah. about nine kilos in weight oh, over dear, the last dear, three dear, months. Dear, dear, dear. Now, has your doctor is obviously keeping an eye on this? Is he? Well, the it was the medical medic the med, medicines were prescribed by a specialist. Yes. Um, we've been doing some investigations ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we've found that it's a possibility that it could be something to do with cortisol um, production. Well, look, I think that uh, I, I can't comment yay or nay on that, but what I would say is that um, there's a couple of things that you could do, which in my opinion have a good chance of, uh, 
of, of helping this condition. The, fir- the first thing is to, to realize that there are some very safe and simple herbs that are renowned for addressing nausea, regardless of its etiology or cause. Mm. Now, the first one, and you probably know, is, is the herb ginger. And ginger in various preparations, even simple ginger tea made from the dried herb or ginger tea made from the fresh herb, ginger has a reputation of being useful for some levels of nausea and certainly it would be something that I would recommend that you try. The second thing is um, there is a herb used by medical herbalists um, in, in the Western world known as black whorehound right? Black whorehound. Um, it, it mightn't be much use to you, but, but botanically it's known as Bolotta nigra. Don't confuse black whorehound with white whorehound. White whorehound is used popularly as an antitusive or cough medicine, but black whorehound, which I've used all my professional career, is remarkable in its ability to subdue a nausea from morning sickness nausea right through to more serious levels of nausea, associated with more serious conditions. There are two options. The other thing is this, that in herbal medicine, bitter-tasting herbs are naturally anti-nauseous to some degree. And so a herb like gentian, a herb like golden seal, which is exceedingly bitter, exceedingly bitter, those herbs also, golden seal would be perhaps more readily available in an encapsulated form, Um, Those herbs, in my opinion, have a reasonable chance of subduing this condition until your husband's gut chemistry uh, comes back uh, to normality. Interestingly, uh, the herb golden seal uh, is sometimes used very successfully in some instances of Helicobacter pylorus, which is the infection of the gut that your husband has been treated for. And the interesting thing is that this very bitter tasting herb, golden seal, not only has a useful antimicrobial effect in the stomach, which allows it to be used for some levels of of infection, but it is also something that is used to stimulate normal gastric secretion from the gut wall. So it's a very bitter substance that might well be useful considering to be brought into the management at this stage. Um, I would be going down that pathway I think what you should do, the ethical thing perhaps would be to mention it to your GP. I'm sure there would be no reservations on his part because none of what I've recommended, in my opinion, is likely to interact or clash with anything you may have prescribed, uh, that he may have prescribed. So think of ginger. You can get that from your health food store or pharmacy or make it up yourself. Um, Think also about the herb black whorehound, which would probably only be available from pharmacists that have a herbal dispensary or from the dispensaries of medical herbalists. And there are plenty of those, plenty of us around the place. And Golden Seal, of course, uh, is readily available from most health food stores. There's something to think about. That answer your question, Shirley? Well, it helps. Thank you very much. We can try that. Thank you, Shirley. Excellent. Isn't it funny how uh, when you take something bitter, then maybe you Uh, think it's actually uh, doing you good? Yeah, it is. And it probably is. Well, it's interesting you raise that, Jane, because uh, tonic medications uh, traditionally in the Western world have always been based 
on very bitter substances. In pharmacy, there was a mixture, I think it was called Miss Gen Co., uh, which was a mixture of gentian compound, and it was popularly prescribed, in, even in my mother's era. Uh, it was a tonic preparation, terribly bitter taste, and bitter-tasting herbs have always been seen as having a rehabilitating effect on digestive activity. So you're on the money there, Jane. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Just look for something that's bitter, bitter. You know, and make sure it's the right one. <laughs> now, Bob has rung in from Cameron Park. Now, Bob, Dennis has talked about olive oil and its benefits, but you're asking about hemp oil. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Hello, Bob. Hello, Dennis. Bob, the two oils are chemically quite dissimilar. Um, olive oil, obviously, is, is based on the olive uh, from the from the the olive tree, uh, yep. hemp oil comes from an entirely different species of the plant world. So the two oils um, uh, would have significantly different characteristics, and in my opinion, shouldn't be attempted to uh, emulate each other's effects. Olive oil is olive oil, and the claims that are made for it, uh, in my opinion, could not be made for the use of hemp oil. Uh, let me just reiterate for for, for listeners. Olive oil has multiple benefits. It's the clue, in my opinion, after years of study, as to uh, the way in which Mediterranean people are relatively free of many of the conditions that we experience in Anglo countries. Uh, Olive oil, for instance, uh, has the effect of uh, regulating the bowel. It has the incredible effect also of normalising gallbladder functioning, gallbladder secretion, so that it's very popularly used for what we call a congested gallbladder, overcoming, if you like, some functional conditions of the gallbladder where its secretory activity is not as good as it should be. Uh, And olive oil, again, in the literature is seen as having quite remarkable uh, nutritional principles, which I've seen uh, at work when it's taken for any length of time, not only in regulating the bowel, but also in, in having a tonic effect on the body. If it's used regularly, the skin benefits. Um, So uh, for all those reasons, I think it would be uh, unfair to expect any other oil to compete with olive oil, an oil that has those remarkable possibilities. Yeah, my my main concern, Dennis, they're saying this um, hemp oil, hemp seed oil, um, is very good for arthritis. I've got really bad arthritis at times. Mm -hmm. And they're saying they're saying that it's um, very beneficial okay. to use this stuff okay. for that. Well, look, to be honest with you, Bob, look, I know a lot about hemp, uh, yeah. and I know a lot about um, the, the herb itself and its benefits. I've not read anything in the literature, and I have a lot of literature on um, on on hemp. Uh, keep in mind that uh, this herb uh, was used many years ago. Uh, as a as a very uh, mainstream medication, it's in the British herbal, not the British herbal, but in the British Pharmacopoeia and the British Pharmaceutical Codex. So okay. it's not an unusual substance, and and listeners would know that I'm a great supporter of uh, medicinal preparations uh, coming back into mainstream medicine. Uh, but um, I've not read Bob too much to sustain um, the claim that it has a significant effect in arthritis. Now, look, I could be caught out. I, I'm, uh, I'm not, I don't know everything about every herb. No, uh, that's fine. But yeah. I would be surprised uh, if that were so. Let me just say also, without uh, limiting my comments just to this um, 
preparation or product that arthritis is such an endemic condition that it has spawned, if you like, so many preparations in the natural world, all of which claim to be the answer to to arthritis. Now, I've been practising herbal medicine for over 40 years. I wish it were as easy as that. Um, so you, you you have to use... Uh, is yours rheumatoid or osteoarthritis? No, osteo, mate. Okay, well, look, uh, uh, take on board a couple of things. You may well have taken them on again, but I'm still a firm believer that a quiet perseverance in glucosamine and chondroitin preparations is worthwhile. It's not the, 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 the be-all and end-all, but I have seen many patients significantly improve the, their osteoarthritic condition by using those fairly common preparations and sustaining them. They're not going to work overnight. They need to be taken. No, the other thing about it is this. We don't mention enough um, and don't promote enough the New Zealand green lip muscle. I, uh, some of the first lecturing I did on osteoarthritis was based on a, on a paper written by a British um, homeopathic doctor, that is a, a qualified medical practitioner who had also studied homeopathy, who was practising in, I think it was Glasgow, uh, outpatients. And he wrote a paper, which I believe was published in The Lancet, where he spoke about uh, an elderly lady who had a very, very compromised uh, osteoarthritic condition, an ankylosed hip joint, he referred to it as, where everything that he'd prescribed did nothing. He yep. had just read something about the New Zealand green dip muscle, which has been popularly used in New Zealand for many, many, many years. So he um, started uh, recommending this to this dear lady. The result was so overwhelming that he wrote a paper extolling the virtues, the potential virtues of the New Zealand green lip muscle as a natural substance with potential benefit in serious osteoarthritic conditions. Think about that also. If you haven't tried it, give, it a, bit of, give it a bit of a go. It's readily available. Look for a good preparation that has standardised levels of it. Uh, going to a health food store or a pharmacy that would know what I'm talking about there, and I'm sure they would, standardised yeah. levels of um, the New Zealand green lip muscle, and then Google it, and you'd be pretty impressed. Okay, Dennis, thank you very much for the information, mate. Thank and, you, Bob. Uh, I will speak to you again. Thank you, Bob. Colin has rung in from Greta. Now, Colin, your problem is an itchy back. Now, Colin, if you've got your radio on, can I ask you to turn that off? Hello? Hello, Colin? Okay. Yes, I'm here. Uh, you're there. Thank you for turning off your radio. Yes. So um, you're here and Dennis is here and you've got a question about an itchy back. Hello, Dan. Hello, Colin. How are you? Not bad. I've been at your place. Have you? Good mate of Billy Clay. Oh, okay. Yeah, Billy Clay. Yeah, dear Bill. I, I haven't seen Bill for a couple of years since he left the farm. Is he still up at Gunnedah? Yes. Is he still do- going well. He's still doing well, is he? Yeah. Oh, Ruth and I'll have to go up and see him. He was a, a great uh, friend and a great uh, carer for the farm for he and his dear wife for many years. Oh, dear. He reminded me. I'll have to mention it to my dear wife when I get home and say, we've got to go to Gunladar and see see Bill. <laughs> right. Now, you've got a problem, have you, with your back? Yes, it keeps coming and going, Ben, for the last three or four years. Okay. Now, ha- ha- has it been diagnosed or looked at, um, Colin? Well... 
I've had some ointment on it, but it doesn't no good. I'm going to draw blood of a more and scratching it. It's as bad as that, is it? Yeah. Okay. Look, uh, something that is as, as aggressive as this, you should let your GP look at it periodically um, to make sure that it's not associated with any underlying condition. But I'll give you a, a few a few hints here. I spoke earlier on the program about using uh, preparations incorporating pine tar. Yes. Right? Now, you can get uh, pine tar preparations from your pharmacist in lotion form or ointment form, and pine tar is well known medically and pharmaceutically as what we call an antipruritic agent. That means it relieves itch. I've used it myself, so I know it works. That is a preparation that you should uh, go into to Greta and talk to the pharmacist about. Putting that on, particularly uh, at night, uh, should ease the, uh, the itch and give you a good night's sleep. So I'd suggest that to start with. Begin to use something with pine tar on it uh, regularly to ease the itch. But also, while you're at the pharmacist, talk about uh, a preparation that um, can be used to actually address any underlying cause, whether it be an eczema or a dermatitis. And he may well be able to give you a preparation there that incorporates in an ointment, um, an ointment form, incorporating glycerotinic acid, GA cream. Write that down, GA cream. He would, he would know what that means. So a pine tar preparation splashed on or wiped on or, or put on the back at, at, at night before bed should ease the itch, and something based on glycerotinic acid, which is an extract of licorice, in preparations referred to in the literature as GA creams, might be worthwhile trying to see if you can actually get rid of the condition. I'd go down that pathway. You shouldn't put up with something that causes you so much distress. Are you using an antihistamine before you go to bed? Yes. Does that give you some relief? Uh, a little bit. Yes. Yeah, a little bit. Now, look, I'd be a bit more pragmatic and uh, do the do the pine tar application and uh, discuss with your pharmacist his ma manufacturing for you a cream, a 2% cream incorporating glycerotinic acid. And all... So, oh. cracked heels, then you've got to... Uh, uh, something a little big for that. Oh, look, uh, cracked heels can be usually ma managed by just using something as simple as, as honey ointment. You can get ointments based on honey, which are soothing, mollifying and healing. So honey ointment would be something that's worthwhile. Good man. Uh, all okay. the very best with that, then, yeah, Colin. Thanks, thanks for ringing in, Colin. And I'm glad you've uh, brought me up to speed with dear Bill. Set him on a great passage. Mm. We're just very close to the end, and uh, honey, of course, brings us back more or less to where we started. So it it's a indeed. nice cycle. And, and look, very quickly, I'll just say to listeners, uh, at certain times of the year when I'm driving down to the studio and driving home, I go past um, the, the workers' club there at Western, where the where the soccer ground is, great club by the way. I think it's the, the workers' club. I think that the, the restaurant there called Miners Lamb. Good good people. Now at a certain time of the year in the creek, golden rod comes into blossom. Golden rod, the yellow golden flowers of golden rod, are renowned in Europe as one of the best remedies to use to address very early stages of varicose veins or to ease some of the symptoms of varicose veins. 
In Europe, it is known as addressing what's called the varicose syndrome, the herb goldenrod, growing in the in the uh, in in the Hunter Valley, near the uh, near the club. Certain times of the year, listeners, if you're driving past it, you'll see a beautiful grove of it, a remarkable herb that that can be used to address varicose veins. Look in the literature and you'll see that I'm right. Excellent. Thank you, Dennis Stewart. Health Naturally back again next Friday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.